Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney over there, Steve. With a silence. We got uh, Earth One Steve back this week. (laughs) Oh boy. So today is part two of our scenario challenge uh, where we take some random. part Part one was the butts are loose. That was like so long ago. I know it was so long ago. That this is, is a separate challenge. I know this it's been eight. it's been so long since we did the first one. Too long since we did the first this one. This is the second scenario challenge. That's right, the second scenario challenge. Uh, basically, to bring you up to speed on what this is, we take some random thing, either a concept or in this case, a dungeon map, and create a knights of night of play around it. Exactly. Uh, in this case, we took uh, Dan Smith's five by seven dungeons, randomly selected a card, and both created an adventure based on the map presented on the card. We took nine A. That's right. We used card not card nine A. Uh, we'll have a link in the description to uh, the Smith Inc. email so you can order that directly from Dan and hey. check it out for yourself. Unfortunately, that is copyrighted material, and we wouldn't be able to post the map itself. Right. Unless Dan's listening, and he says, hey, go ahead. Go post that map, because it's good advertising. That's right. There we go. We have uh, we have a map. Hold that map up for me, Steve. Let me try to describe it, at least, to the listeners. Uh, on the card, it appears to be a cave system with a circular room... Stairs coming down to a rectangular room, a room going off to one side, a large circular area, a fourth room that kind of protrudes into the middle of the circle, a door, and a fifth and sixth room off catty corner to that. That's right. pretty much the best we can do. Uh, actually, there is an alcove on that map that is underneath the campaign square box, the campaign yes. play box that I actually Weird. included. In in my map. I actually included it in my map as well. There you go. Um, so this is what we did. We took that map, created a, a scenario, six-room little dungeon, and uh, we're going to tell you guys about what we came up with. Yep. Uh, what kind of concept did you have, Steve? All right, so I went with, like, a straight-up survival horror. Well, kind of, because you have swords. <laughs> right. Well, <you laughs> and, and, and probably magic. But, you know, as far as, as it goes, I, I, I um, yeah, it's a kind of a survival horror. It's more of a horror. It's horror. Horror. It's horror. It's horror, horror. horror. Yep. Deep ones. Fireball! <laughs> Funny you should mention that. <laughs> yes. Uh, mine was more of a, a classic kind of dungeon area, kind of meant to be either the second part of a dungeon, piece of a longer campaign, that sort of thing. Um, the image that got stuck in my head looking at that map for a couple hours was that of an ossuary. Yeah, I will say it is harder mm-hmm. than you think to populate a dungeon and have it make sense. Yes. That was my that wasn't part of the challenge. 
we could have like gone all 1977 on it. Right. And it <laughs> just had random shit, but I wanted it to like, I know my motto is continuity is for suckers, but I wanted it to make sense within um, the, with just within itself. Narrative cohesion. Yes. Thank you. And, and thematic cohesion. You didn't it's hard to It's harder to do that because you end up, at least I ended up with like this less is more mm-hmm. kind of thing happening. Cause you know, there's six rooms. You could have put six different monsters in there and called it a night. Yeah. Yeah. You could do that. But I, I did not want to do that. I had, uh, I think my map has a total of nine, ten monsters. Mine has... And nine of them are the same monster. Yeah, mine has, well, really two types of monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, well, you'll, you'll, you'll see. All right, well... It... Individually, there are two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and there's eleven individuals. All right. Well, you want to start off and tell us about your room one? Okay. So, well, mine um, actually starts before room one. Ah, I have background um, because I figured that it could either be part of an ongoing campaign or um, you could do it as a one shot. But I just wanted to have something that like, why are why are we here? Mm -hmm. So what I what I did as I wrote this little blurb. The PCs have been hired to locate a missing group of five youngsters that were out on an excursion to practice for their coming-of-age ceremony. Uh, They were to be shadowed by a chaperone, but all are missing. Uh, One of the kids appeared in camp, or in in the town last night, disheveled and battling about red monsters. Um, If the the PCs decide to interview the kid, uh, they have lost their mind and will only repeat, monster. Red claws. It's the only thing they're capable of saying. Um, if you do any digging, uh, taverns, blah, 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 you come to find out that over the past few weeks, there have been several people reported missing. Uh, no roles. You just have to show up in a tavern and you, you'll get that rumor. Um, so you're guided out to the campsite. Um, on the way there, you find the body of the chaperone hanging by one leg uh, from a snare trap. Um, His neck has been broken. Um, If you investigate that, you find that it was purely accidental. Mm. Guy just stepped in the wrong thing. Branch went up, whacked him against the tree, and broke his neck. So just a bit of bad luck. That's just, you know, kind of... Flavor. Yeah, he's easy into because it gets hairy from here on in. A little Um, little bit of a red herring. So once you get to the campsite, there are signs of a struggle, and there is a clear trail heading to um, a barrow. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get to room one. Stairs down. As the party descends the stairs down into the barrow, a faint smell of decay becomes evident. A perception check reveals that the odor gets stronger towards the southwest corner of the room, where there is a secret door opened by pressing a brick that is slightly more worn than its surroundings. Ah! So, so okay. So I see we kind of came to the same conclusion about room two. 
because that the mark on the map makes it look like there's should be there there's a secret door there. It, it in the um if you look at what um what the dungeon says itself, it's called a secret room. Yeah, oh, nice. I did I did so, not read the card prior I to did. it. I just took the map and said, "Boom, let's do just the map." I did, but yeah, it's a secret room. All right, so my room one, yeah, I have a little bit of a background too. Like I said in the introduction. Uh, the ossuary is connected to a ruined temple complex whose sect has been lost to memory. The party has arrived following rumors that a powerful relic lies among the ancient bones of long dead monks. So it's kind of like a, a sequel to a, a larger, more outdoor ruined temple sort of scenario. Right. Um, room one for me, after a long descent down downstairs of roughly hewn stone... You pass through an archway. As you enter the room, levitating orbs begin to glow with magical light. The chamber is rectangular and seems to have been carved from the living rock. To the south is a door that leads into the ossuary proper, flanked by a pair of carved images to an armor-clad deity that you do not recognize. The statue on the west side of the door bears a sword, and the east statue bears a staff. Now, where... We differed a little bit as on the secret door into room number two. Uh, I made it an investigation check. Repeal reveals a small hole in the stone. Uh, on a further investigation check, the faint outline of a secret door is revealed. If the party tries to force open the door, they receive 2d6 force damage. Uh, if it's a non-good character, it's 3d6. Uh, and be thrown against the opposite wall. Uh, if the players are able to deduce that the small hole is a lock, any attempt to pick it will provide the same result. And any spells used to remove or open the enchant, you know, to open the door or remove the enchantment, deal XD6 to everyone within 20 feet of the spellcaster, where X is equal to the spell slot used to attempt to break the enchantment. Um, no, Aloha Mora, Harry Potter. That's right. Uh, basically, yeah, because of what I have in the secret room, which is actually the goal of the entire adventure, I do not want anyone skipping straight ahead to the end. Oh, see, <laughs> mine is I designed my secret room to uh, help build the tension. Ah. Um, so when you open the door, a breeze rushes out of the room, bringing with it the overpowering smell of decay. A dark corridor winds its way to a chamber where uh, 1D6 bodies have been unceremoniously dumped. Inspection of the bodies reveals a hole about the size of a child's fist in both, and uh, well, originally it was going to be two, but I decided I wanted to pile on more, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in their chests. Mm -hmm. And a successful investigation check um, reveals that they look like exit wounds. Ah. Um, each body has 2d4 gold pieces on it and is dressed similar, similarly to the uh, people in the village. Mm -hmm. There is no other exit in this room. Nice. Um, okay, so my room two was, this is the tomb of the unknown saint. Uh, once the party locates the key to the secret door, they are able to gain entrance. As they enter, a number of ornate jewel-encrusted braziers ignite with bright green fire. In the center of the room is a basalt, basalt sarcophagus. Um, 
They have to make a strength check to open it. Inside the sarcophagus is a full suit of plate armor, a long sword with an ivory hilt inlaid with platinum that they can appraise at about 3,000 gold pieces, and a wow. simple wooden stick. Or staff. While the ornate sword and, mag- and armor are both magical items, it is the unassuming staff that is the true treasure. Uh, so the switcheroo, everybody, you know, people people like to go for the flashy shit. You know, what's funny is, as I always play monks, I, I would I would attempt to um, look at the staff right <laughs> immediately. Right. So, <laughs> like the enchantment on the secret door, the weapons will react adversely to non-good characters. So these are alignment weapons. Now it doesn't matter whether you're law neutral or chaos; you just have to be good. What if you're neutral? If you're true neutral, that's non-good. So, true neutral and any evil alignment. And, of course, the neutral versions of Law and Chaos. You just have to be good. Uh, the first item, the fancy sword, is a is the Sword of the Unknown Saint. It's a long sword of sharpness. Uh, stats for the long sword of sharpness... Non-good character who attempts to grip the weapon will take 3d6 radiant damage. Uh, If four attempts are made by non-good characters to hold this weapon, the enchantment of the sword will be lost, and the blade will crumble to dust, leaving only the hilt, which you can go and have made into another sword if you want. So it's kind of a give-or-take situation. Uh, Let's see. The second thing is the plate armor. Uh, it is plate armor of resistance that I house ruled to be half damage from attacks from fiends and undead. Uh, it will attune to a non-good character, but only function as plus two plate mail. Uh, but if a non-good character... Which is actually still pretty cool. <laughs> right, which is still pretty cool. But here's the trick. If a non-good character puts this armor on, he will be haunted by the voice of the unknown saint himself. As long as they own the armor. Uh, If the character sells or gives away the armor, there is a chance that it will find them again as the spirit has grown attached to that character. (laughs) Could the unknown saint sound like Snagglepuss? Uh, I suppose so. Come on! But so long as that character... No, you want to be good. (laughs) uh, So long as the character possesses the armor, the spirit will attempt to convince the character to change alignment and pledge their service to an entity the saint will only identify as the Paragon. Uh, If the character does change alignment, alignment, the armor will begin to function as it is intended. So either you get some, you get a harassing, a harassing voice in your head and some plus two armor, or you get some plate armor of resistance against uh, fiends and undead. Oh, that was close. <laughs> he almost hit you. You know, it'd be great if you were good. <laughs> <laughs> and now the big boy. And that is the staff of the unknown saint. Uh, in the hands of a good monk, cleric, or paladin, the staff will function as a holy avenger. Uh, stats for the holy avenger. 
The staff is also imbued with a portion of the saint's life force and will turn undead as a fourth level cleric. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, For good character, not of the above mentioned classes, it's a plus three magic weapon, uh, but the character will have a feeling uh, that they have not not unlocked the weapon's full potential. Uh, For non-good characters, it's just a plus one staff. Bum, bum, bum. So. There you go. All you edgelords. Yep. Everybody, I'm chaotic neutral. You get a plus one stick. I'm a lawful good monk. Boom, you got a holy avenger that turns undead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't that as generous as you are. Because those are pretty kick-ass. Those are pretty I, kick-ass I, items, but I figure you know how I am in in escalation. If I'm going to give you something like that, you're going to need to use it against something, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, I was con- considering that the staff is 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 the important thing because we designed this for six to tenth level characters. Yes, I guess we should say that as well. Um, so so yeah. these are supposed to be second tier or mm-hmm. third tier, whatever uh, that is. Yeah, I think it's second tier, one through five being first tier, six through ten being second, something like that. So you know, this might be the first bit of magical equipment that you get. Right. And, you know, for some characters, you know, the staff itself might be their their signature weapon for the rest of the, the life of that character. That's true. Um, or the sword could be, you know, even if it's a non-good character and they have a new blade put into the handle, that's their signature weapon. And the armor just is kind of uh, what could be a running gag. Right. <laughs> For the rest of it. When when Wes puts it on. When Wes puts it on, or, or Lily. Primarily Wes. I, I was thinking of Wes when, when of I was... Of course you were. <laughs> I mean, even if Wes was playing a paladin, I would, I would consider having the ghost stalk him anyway. But uh, now we're on to room three. All right. Room three on the map is a circle circular passageway um, coming off of the, um, the hallway from room one going counterclockwise. Okay. So uh, tight, I called it the tight tunnel, just like in the, in the on the card. Mm-hmm. Uh, squeezing past a bit of collapsed wall in this tunnel, the passage winds around to a chamber that is covered in webbing. Several bundles are dangling from the ceiling, all of them twitching. This is the lair of four giant spiders, and that is page 328 of the Monster Manual, which lie in ambush. They will ignore the party unless they enter the chamber and start to investigate the bodies, in which case they will attack. Um, Once you defeat the spiders, if you defeat the spiders, giant spiders should be a piece of cake for six-level characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bundles are not... The missing children, but fawns, deer, not baby deer, not satyrs. Ah, okay. So that is your, um, that, that's your red herring right there. That's that. Ah. That's that's hopefully the the spiders 
you should be able to, to handle them, mm-hmm. but hopefully they take a little bit out of you. Right, right. Okay. Um, see, where you put in the red herring, I made Room 3 like the primary combat encounter. Um, so, Room 3, I, I made it circular. Uh, you know, a path that runs in a circle. Uh, it's a cavernous, mostly circular chamber that functions as the main part of the ossuary. Uh, carved niches run 30 foot up into the air, each being filled with a skull. Presumably that of a former monk of the temple. Uh, you can go off to the east or the west. Uh, if you do a perception check, uh, you can hear metallic footsteps off in the distance. Uh, and then I did if you go west or if you go east. If you go west, a short walk will bring you to a large uncarved stone that makes passage impa- impossible. Uh, there's enough gap that the party can see through to the alcove underneath the campaign play box. <laughs> um, where you what can... does it say? It says, add a plus modifier to the encounter's battle ability to what level this adventure is for you. What magic is this? <laughs> now, actually, inside that alcove is uh, a pair of sarcophagi. Um... If the party has chosen this route first, when they turn around, they're confronted by a trio of animated armors that are guarding the ossuary. Um, if you go if you go east instead, you hear the metallic footsteps grow closer, and as soon as you round a bend, you encounter the trio of animated armors. Uh, inside the alcove itself, which is still part of room three. Uh, it's a pair of sarcophagi holding the bodies of deceased abbots from the temple. Uh, between the sarcophagi is a small lever that, when activated, will cover rooms three and four with an anti-magic field. It will disable the animated armors, but will also plunge this part of the ossuary into complete darkness. And will awaken a wraith in the first room who guards the exit. Does does infravision or any of that great stuff Yeah, it's um, it, it, is that magic or is that just No, like, that's natural that's abilities. Part, yeah. So so if your character is naturally imbued with dark vision or anything like that, you can see. But it's an anti-magic field so you can't cast any spells. Right. Um and Magical weapons also cease to function within this area. Which is fine because there's nothing to fight anymore once you trip this this lever. Unless the Wraith chases you into this. Uh, unless the Wraith chases you in, but the Wraith guards the door. Okay. So unless, unless you go back to room one and you make it chase you in, then you're kind of screwed. Um, yeah, so when, well, that's, that's room three. The rest of it comes into room four. So go ahead with your room four. Okay. So, uh, room four to me, I called it the bedroom. So the passage curves clockwise. If Mm -hmm. the party is not successfully sneaking or moving silently, um, they will come upon the three red slotty that are using this chamber at the end of the passage. Ooh, dimensional uh, beings. 
And those are statted on page 276 of the Monster Manual. Um, the Slotty are more interested in using the party as hosts for slot tadpoles than fighting to the death. So, um, if at least half the party are impregnated, they will attempt to flee. Mm. Uh, first to Area 5, but if that seems unfeasible, they will try and escape the barrow. I guess I should talk about, for those who, of you who are unfamiliar with the slot. Um, what exactly is so horribly fucked up about them? <laughs> so you have, uh, they're basically anthropomorphic toad salamander guys mm-hmm. that come from the plane of limbo. Uh, red slot the weakest of the, of the slots, slotty, uh, reproduce by impregnating people. They claw. <laughs> <laughs> So once you get clawed by a, um, and they have two attempts to claw each turn, three attacks, claw, claw, bite. Um, once you are, are hit by one of their claws, you make a constitution throw. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make it great, if not, they have put an egg into you. Uh, after, after, um, a few months, the egg turns into, um, basically the alien, <laughs> Right, turns into a chest burster, and and it will come out of your chest. So that's what you saw in room two, where the discarded corpses mm-hmm. of of uh, their victims. Uh, the great thing is, if you're fighting them, they fight with their claws. Right. So there's a chance that any character will be impregnated by the slot. Now, when the slot this this will go get you on to room five. When these chest bursters um, come out, they're called tadpoles. And after uh, 24, 48 hours or something, the tadpole transforms into a blue slot. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about them in room five. In room five. <laughs> All right. Uh, my room four uh, just kind of ups the stakes a little bit because there are six additional animated armors all lined up. Is that uh, part of the anti-magic field? Uh, yeah, that's covered under the anti-magic field. So, but see, the thing is, the way the map is laid out, that stone makes it impassable. So, you have to pass into the armor's line of sight, quote-unquote, to get to the lever now. Right. So, you activate them, and you don't know about the lever, because you can't see the lever from, from the vantage point. So, you run in. And it these guys actually activate and attack. Uh, if you evaded the three in the hallway somehow, they join in and around. So you potentially have a nine uh, animated armor fight. Now, animated armors are only like a challenge rating one, so they should be fairly easy to, to defeat. Uh, but I actually put a caveat in that fight that uh, if the party is defeating the armors too quickly through combat for the DM's liking, you can choose to generate half, regenerate half the dead one in D4 rounds. There you go. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's funny because Slod regenerate uh, 10 hit points per round. Yeah. Yeah, it makes them a pain in the ass. Yeah, so so it's it's just it's funny because we were both kind of thinking the same thing right there. Is this too easy? Oh, but you got that you got that going for you. They regenerate. Right. You could like resurrect them. 
Um, there's, 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 so there you have three actions that you can really take when, uh, when you confront these armors. You can run ahead to the alcove to see if there's anything there, which you probably won't do unless you have a, like a rogue or a bard or something like that. Who do you have to go all the way back around or do you have uh, to? Nope. You go straight through to the little alcove where the sarcophagi are. I put a wall there. Oh, you put a wall there? doesn't all go around. Ah, see, I use the I use the boulder as the wall. So you have to go around. You you really have to face these armors since they are really if you don't act you know, activate the wraith, they are the only combat encounter. Right. Um <clears throat> and function as guardians. I considered uh things like uh iron golem something like that. But it seems like uh, six level party may not be equipped to handle an iron go- golem, simply because they are resistant to like damn near everything. Yeah. Unless your weapons are adamantine. And to be completely honest, I never think about providing anything like that. <laughs> um. So. <laughs> So you can either so your three choices in there with the with the combat encounter are you can stand and fight, uh, run through the door to room five, which is an out of the frying pan into the fire situation, or charge ahead to room three and find the lever. Right. Um. You know, maybe thinking you know you whatever whatever the. Uh, party decides you know why they would want to stand and fight there in the alcove you know with their backs to the wall or something like that maybe thinking it's a choke point or something um which you know you could always do that um but yeah i threw in the extra rule about regenerating the armors if the party is just cutting through them too quick right all right so that brings us to room five all right I call this the birthing chamber. So the first thing that you see when you enter are the missing children, chained to the far wall by makeshift shackles. They are guarded by two blue slotty, page 276 of the Monster Manual, um, that will fight to the death, protecting the children and their young. So the thing about blue slot is that when when a red slot does its thing, mm-hmm. it produces a blue slot. Right. Blue slots, slotty, uh, reproduce. It's also a claw attack, but it is a, um, it's a disease mm-hmm. that turns the, um, that turns the victim into a slot directly. Ah. Kind of like a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Now. And they become either, a red slot? And they become a red slot. Exactly. Right. Now, if either of these victims of the red or the blue are uh, can use third level magic mm-hmm. or higher, they become a green slot, oh. which is kind of like the caster slot. Mm-hmm. And green slots um, evolve to become pretty badass later on. Right. They but, just um, continue gaining levels of whatever the They become is. like, uh, well, they become, they can, A, they can polymorph. Mm-hmm. But uh, green slots c- can turn into gray slots, right? And gray slots can turn into death slots, right? And that's as far as five e goes. Uh, earlier editions had them like 
they were slods all the way down. The slot <laughs> God slod. They had they had gods gods of slots. Mm-hmm. Um, but for our purposes, we're only going up to green. Now, now, slods, slods <laughs> are interdimensional beings, correct? Yes, they come from limbo. They come from limbo. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment too. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, so now, uh, so the fight to the death. If you are fighting the slads in room four, uh, there's there's a chance, a perception check. Mm-hmm. That the blue slats will hear that and come and join the the fight outside of the chamber. Okay. So there, you have the potential of fighting five of these goddamn things at once, mm-hmm. and they're regenerating. And they regenerate. It's not a lot. It's only ten hit points um, per round. Mm-hmm. So if you can, like, you know, when they're dead, they're dead. They don't regenerate when they're when they're dead right um now each of the children obviously has been impregnated with a slot egg Mm -hmm. um for the just how that works page 274 um if the egg isn't destroyed cure disease blah 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 within three months the tadpole will emerge bursting through the chest eventually transforming into a blue slot so you could conceivably succeed in rescuing these children and bring them back to the village un- unharmed, quote unquote. And uh, in a few months, it'll just happen all over again. Right. <laughs> you might come across the village on your way back from somewhere and it's all what red slot. Yeah. It's like a slot <laughs> uncle. <laughs> wow. That's, that's pretty nasty. Um, for me, room five is a square chamber. The wall opposite the door features a decaying fresco. Uh, The central figure is the same as the statues you encountered in room one. Uh, He's hovering in midair with his sword held aloft. Once again, kind of misdirection in the treasure room. Um, While what appear to be devils fall into an abyss. Which is foreshadowing. Uh, a perception check will reveal that some of the flagstones in the floor seem odd. If they're actively searching for a trap, they will discover that most of the floor is false. And appears to be some type of pit. Uh, if the players are fleeing from the animated armors and rush into room 5, you need to make a dexterity save to not fall into the pit. Uh, the pit itself is 30 feet deep. I was going to ask, how, how deep is that pit? And what's on the spikes? Uh, no spikes. <laughs> because instead of spikes, it is shrouded in magical darkness. So, infravision and whatnot is not allowed <laughs> in magical darkness. Um, let's see. Magic using character can dispel it, but if not the player will have disadvantage on uh, athletics checks to try to climb to one of the ledges. Uh, Pretty much what happens is that you step on it and all of the false floor segments just fall away into the trap, leaving a few pillars uh, that are made to look like flagstones. And you can try to climb up at disadvantage and the GM will place you randomly in the room. Um... To get across, you just need to make athletics checks to jump from flagstone to flagstone to get across. 
Now, if they are fleeing all those armors and don't close the door behind them, the armors will chase them into the room and set off the trap. Uh, leaving possibly a couple of players in magical darkness with animated armors attacking them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's basically what it is. It's the simple, uh, what is it? Uh, White Plume Mountain jumping yeah. puzzle. Yeah, without the geysers. Without the geysers, uh, but possibly complicated by magical darkness and depending on how the party reacts. You know, no one's walking in that room and immediately checking for traps. Oh, no. Uh, in fact, I the room is designed for uh, expecting the player to run into the room <laughs> without paying any attention whatsoever. <clears throat> So it's it's a thirty foot thirty foot worth of fall damage for at least one character. <laughs> um, yeah, and that leads uh, once you get across the pit, that leads us to room six. All right, room six is where I have the lair of the green slide. Ah. Um, so if it looks like they will be defeated. Maslati will emit a high-pitched squeal, and 1d4 rounds later, a green slad, uh, page 277 of the Monster Manual, will emerge from the pool. There's a pool. Invisible. Mm -hmm. Its first act will be to use Mage Hand to shut the bolt on the door to Area 4, basically locking everybody in. Okay. After that, it will join the fight. If the battle starts to look bad for the Slotty, it will retreat to the steps and cast Fireball to cover its retreat into the pool. Nice. <laughs> the pool contains a gateway to the realm of Limbo and requires the ability to breathe underwater to reach it. Nice. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so it's kind of a death trap. <laughs> um, but if you can survive that Fireball... Mm -hmm. And hopefully the kids can survive that fireball. Right. Or you could just defeat it, you know, outright. Because once, I mean, once, if invisibility still works the way it's supposed to work, once you start attacking while you're invisible, you're no longer invisible. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like the first I'm, action, like an attack or, or I, I forget what it is, but def, I think attacking definitely. It, it uh, cancels out the invisibility. Yeah. Right. But now now you have, you know, a, a six to ten level party fighting, uh, you know, a bunch of it's the, the challenge ratings for these guys are kind of on the low end of that. Uh, but I think there's enough of them and there's the potential for you to be fighting all of them at once. Right. That things can get really hairy. Uh, plus, you know, if you decide you're going to do a short or a long rest in here, you're going to encounter something. It's you're, it's just not going to happen. There's no safe place to to have your rest. So you go in with with what you go in with. All right. Yeah, I can I can see that there is there is no real place to take a rest before between these these. It's like one long combat encounter, like multi stage. Yeah, once you once you get into it, it's yeah, it's that's basically what it is, and it becomes kind of a, a a war of attrition, really, because 
any of your magic users, they're they're going to be expending spell slots. Your clerics will probably be expending slots to heal and whatnot. So you've got to make it all the way through this battle, uh, or at least get the retreat condition for the slots, right? Before before you can even think about resting, right? Which that's that could be that can be rough. Now. Let's see if you can figure this one out because this is the uh, probably the nastiest trick in this in this dungeon. Uh, once you get past room five, a short staircase leads toward a glowing blue light. At the bottom of the stairs, the party enters a shallow pool. A small altar occupies the center of the room. On the altar are six keys. Now, what would you be? One of one key will open room number two. What do the keys look like? They all are identical. So what 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 did your what if you were metagaming that room? What would you think? There's six of them. Mm-hmm. How many statues were there? Uh, there were only two statues. Are they arranged in any particular order? They're laid out in a line. There's no riddle? There's no riddle. I'd walk away. You'd walk away? (laughs) I'd walk away. Well, see, here's the thing. That trap, uh, that room is designed specifically to make the party paranoid. After, if they tried to open, force open the secret door and got their asses handed to them, if they threw themselves into a darkened anti-magic field or had to fight these armors, fell into the pit, all this other stuff, there's six innocuous-looking keys laying on an altar. But it's a fake. Five of the keys are normal. One of the key is magical. Picking up a normal key does nothing. <laughs> However, how long is it going to take before a player is brave enough to grab one of those keys? Uh, it wouldn't be me because I would have just walked away. <laughs> um, so, so one of the other tricks to this room is is the GM or the DM can either choose which one of the keys is the real key, or to r- further confuse the players, they can roll a D six. And let let that key be random. And of course, if I if I was running this room and you guys were like, "Oh, which key do I take?" and I rolled a die, that would increase the paranoia level, right? Until somebody broke the tension and grabbed a key, which then the the gig is up. And well, kind of up because you grab that key. It, it's a one in six chance of it being the wrong key. Mm-hmm. So you take the wrong key, you go back up to the first room where there might be a wraith waiting for you. Right. And you put the key in the hole and kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that nastiness too. Um, if, if the magic user has any like slots for detect magic or a ritual, uh, they can figure out which key it is. Uh, once the correct key is grabbed, the spirit of the unknown saint appears to congratulate you for being worthy of his cause. Uh, And the party will be instantly transported back to room number one, whether it has a wraith in it or not. 
<laughs> so you are dropped possibly into another combat encounter right away. Yeah, so really the key to this dungeon is fight the armor. Don't worry about the lever, fight the fucking armor cuz you'd rather fight the goddamn armor than a wraith. That's right. <laughs> Raids drain levels, don't they? Uh yes. Uh, I think they've changed it up a little bit where they don't drain levels. They drain uh, ability scores. They do ability yeah. damage. Fight the armor. Yeah. <laughs> right. But see, that's that's the trick. Is that the armor, yeah, it's challenger level one, but there's nine of them. And so that's nine attacks per round that the GM right. is doing. And right. players really start, like, second guessing themselves as when when you start seeing like that many of one enemy unless they're mm -hmm. like kobolds or right. something simple um plus you know unless they're like sitting there trying to use something to actually identify these they don't know if they're just animated armors or they're shield guardians or they're iron golems right that are look like armor you know what would be really fucked up yeah what's that to have like just waves and waves of these like you know challenge rating one armors <laughs> and one iron golem that looks exactly like them. Yes, I considered that as well, <laughs> but like I said, the iron golem is like a challenge rating ten, and it has butt tons of immunities. So it would just been like you know I'm not trying to make a death trap, but yeah, I wanted I wanted to fuck with the player party after surviving all of that. Uh, possibly falling into the trap a couple times and right. taking damage that way to put them in a situation where, it, you know, choose wisely. Is there anything in the pit? No, it's just a pit. It's just you can meant take to, a long rest in the pit. You can take a long rest it's, in the it's pit. It's nice in down the, here. It's nice down here. <laughs> uh, you could theoretically, yes, take a long rest in the pit. Um, you know, get some spell slots back because you know you've taken. You have 30 foot of fall damage, unless you had right. feather fall or something like that. Or you're a monk. Or you're a monk. But, you know, who's going to charge into... Is the monk going to charge into the room first, or is the rogue? Who's playing the monk? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> if it was me, I'd be charging in. And that's verified. Right. That's not me talking shit. That's verified by playing a monk. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You charge into the next room. But um, one course, final gag. I would have made my dexterity check. <laughs> one final gag to make the rest of the adventure or the campaign uh, laughable is that if any of the party members are able to use the items in room number two as they are intended, but for some reason keep the key... Uh, the spirit of the unknown saint will become a companion to the player who has the key. Great. And... <laughs> Don't pick their pocket. <laughs> it's a dragon even. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what exactly? That's the most horrible part I've ever heard. Exit stage left. <laughs> 
Anytime, anytime the party has to flee, he says that. Exit stage left. <laughs> because the unknown saint has three levels of bard before he dies. <laughs> but uh, well, he yeah. took some. He took loot lessons. Loot lessons, yes. Um. So yeah, so you have a little bit of information on maybe how the staff works if you're not you know, the character that can unlock its full potential or something like that. Um, or, you know, somebody to be, you know, that DM's moral compass character that just sits there and berates the characters for being murder hobos. Or, you know, whatever whatever the being a companion to the party means to the GM and right. how exactly they want to set that up. So that's that's the final room. Once you get out of room six, you got the key, the right key. You're back at room one. You might have to fight a wraith. You might not. Uh, but you definitely, once all of that's over with, you get access to the treasure. The treasure fucks with you, and then you leave. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody ever wants to play again. Yes, uh, for me, you, you, you. If you end up rescuing the children, you bring them home, and if you don't make your insight roll as to uh, slot lore, you have just uh, created um, insmouth <laughs> <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> Terrible! It's a no-win situation. We are petty and vindictive GMs. Well, I wanted to, to do like a a horror scenario, you know, where, where yeah, you're you're going to get some experience points mm -hmm. for going through this thing, and I'd probably say if you were like closer to six than ten, right. you might even get a level from doing all this, right? Uh, especially if you have the wherewithal to um, cure disease on the kids, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I would say, I would say. Um... Just getting out of of either dungeon is worth some experience points. Uh, just just for surviving, you don't have to actually murder anything. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely reward you with level as opposed to, you know, there's a few gold pieces and everything, but for crying out loud, they're slad and they're just they don't have plus one swords laying around. I right. saw really no reason why they should have treasure mm -hmm. right. uh, their their main thing is just reproduction so they're, they're yeah. just trying to it's the green slad trying to build an army so he can metamorphosize into a gray slad mm -hmm. that's really all it is yep well, that's good and, and mine is just obtaining an artifact that you know hell once you get out the big bad might be waiting for you back outside like every there's nothing you can have that i can't take away <laughs> you come face to face with a Belloc. Belloc. <laughs> yeah. See, I was thinking about this in terms of maybe like a, a, a you know, Strahd-like campaign or something like that where you need a holy item. Yeah, yours is definitely, definitely like, you, I could see it. As part of something like where you're like fighting tons of undead mm -hmm. and and vampires and and shit like that, right? Some type of creeping darkness across. The yeah. Room. 
it's it's definitely like like it would be one of the um you know one of the just the the chapters in mm. in the in the quest yeah kind of thing yeah I mean I totally designed this to be a one shot mm. to you know have roll up some six or seventh level characters let's go yep yep well generally. I think of it in terms of if you're sixth or seventh level, you've probably been playing for a little while. Um, you know, I I have never liked starting characters at sixth or seventh level, unless it's like you say for as just a single night. Uh, just just because you know that's that's a lot of power. You know, even even at sixth to tenth level is is a good bit of power in a character's hands. It, yeah, you have like a. a there's a lot of stuff you can do as a character that six, six, seven, eight. That's like when you're like your subclass mm-hmm. really starts to come into itself. Right. And you start getting like some of the cooler powers from your, from your school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, I think it's like plus two plus three proficiency bonus. Yeah, so, your proficiency your proficiency bonus starts to get up there, so you're making rolls easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I set like all of my the lowest DC in this in this adventure is 15, simply because you know thinking of six to tenth level characters plus their um, attribute bonuses, since a lot of it is you know uh, strength or or dexterity based and most people pad those numbers anyway right well i i kind of want people to make their perception checks and everything in this because i want them to find these horrible things i want them to find that secret room where all like the discarded chest bursted bodies are Mm -hmm. you know i want them to see the the corpses dangling from the roof twitching um you know just to because i want that tension because it, without without like that color um, and building up, the fight with the slab is just a fight with the slab. It's just another yeah. fucking fight. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And and yeah, I mean, hell, you could probably in just forego perception checks in a lot of those cases because the bodies, whether they're the ones wrapped up by the spiders or the the ones laying on, you know, in the discarded chest bursters. They're more of a feature of the room itself. You know, you're not right. going to make somebody make a perception roll for a goddamn table in the middle of the room. <laughs> no, no, but but the um, yeah, looking the for the hole. It's, yeah, it's, the it's secret, secret door. door. Right. I want you to find it, but I want you to like have to work to find it. Mm. Just because I think if if your character is is working, is making rolls, is is describing what they're doing to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a, it's good, good um, role playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but B, also, it, it, you know, it adds to just like the immersion of the story, so that you know, it just makes you care more mm-hmm. about what happens to a character. You know. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that a die roll, even if it's for something like you should be taking ten for in three, right? Right. Take ten. Take twenty. Something like that. Even if it's like something that you probably should should be able to do that, I still want you to work for it a little bit. I want you to find it, mm-hmm. but I want you to like process finding it. Right, right. You know, oh, the smell is getting getting stronger there. Uh, so I'm going to go 
towards where that smell is. Mm-hmm. Uh, make a perception check. You know, nothing huge, but right. it, it. Right, right, and it's one it of those types of, to it. and it's also one of those types of perception checks that you might not give them a target number. You might just say, "Roll it." Yeah. And go. Okay, this is what you see. Um, that way, you have that 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 kind of that false choice sort right. of thing where you know you they roll the dice, but it doesn't really matter what the unless it's a failure. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that in um, in horror scenarios, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to create that that tension than it is if you're like watching a movie. Well, yeah, because, you're... because you you don't have the, the you don't have like lighting effects and you don't have um, music, right? You know to help help build that tension. It's all from uh, a what you're describing and b how you're letting people get that information. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because you can't cue it up perfectly, in you know at a table because you know somebody might go start off a role playing conversation. And one, break the tension, but also two, your music cue isn't going to be as effective if it's not timed for the right moment. Right. And you can't really do that in yeah. tabletop. You can have like ambient music. Yeah. Yeah. That creepy music. And I've had people, I've had jams do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little cheesy and distracting, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But to each his own. It's it's hard to build tension that way, and it's also hard to build tension simply because the player immersion is either like like our group is six people staring at a camera, right, and or or it's six people sitting around a table, right, and and you know no matter how vivid your description, you know the one character is going to like slurp out of a can of Mountain Dew. Or something like that while you're trying to build the tension. And right. just the fact of looking at paper and pen and and uh you know, cups and stuff like that on the table kind of kind of breaks that a little bit. So so, so you I, really I, have to it's really all imagination and I think it's like you, you have to you you actually did this in your scenario in describing your scenario, you have to metagame tension. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, right. right. And, Sometimes and, you have to build up tension by actually building up tension in the players themselves. Right. So, like you said, you have that array of of keys, mm-hmm. right? And you roll a die, right? And that die roll makes the players paranoid, mm-hmm. not the characters. But really, like, am I trying to scare characters, no. or am I trying to like? creep out players who are playing these characters. I'm trying to creep out the players. Right. You know, they can act scared all they want running around, but I want like players being paranoid. Mm -hmm. To me, that's much, that's, that's cool. It was like when we were playing uh, Master Nair Lathotep, it got to a point where every time y'all did something, it was like a huge decision because you thought, there was going to, something horrible was going to happen. Right. And it was great. Mm-hmm. It was great. And that's like, I think that's how you have to play, play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a, there was a point where it was every session is this one's the one where Julian dies. 
This was the yeah. one where Julia dies. I mean, how, how nope, many times? I still got two hit points. <laughs> how many times do we play? And you toss something out there, and you have Lily going, "Well, my character doesn't know it's a deep one, but I know what a deep one is." Right. So you know, yeah, I, that's great. Your character doesn't know, but I want to thrill you, not right. your fucking character. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that paranoia also the player paranoia also factors into character action because right. because you are kind of metagaming it so you're if the player is pensive about what to do next the character is going to be pensive it, tra- it of course of course if if the person's a, a you know good good role player sometimes you know they they create characters that are well, you know, I'm a little nervous about this situation, but this character would kick in the door. And you got to have some of those characters, too. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I totally get you. Yeah. But just having that player reticent to kick in that door. Right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's cool. That's that's kind of what you want. Because, yeah, the character's going to do what the character's going to do. But uh, ultimately, it's the um, player who is having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm playing the game as opposed to the character who is, you know, just doing whatever the player tells them right. to do. Uh, there you go. There's our second scenario challenge, and we promise we'll, we'll do a third in a much shorter amount of time. Yeah, I hope <laughs> you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys it enjoyed fun, it. It was fun to do. These are fun to do. Uh, this yeah. one's a little bit more daunting than the butts. Yeah. That Well, that one just started off with a concept. And if you would like a copy of uh, either mine or Steve's scenario, uh, just hit us up in an email, microphonesofmadness at gmail.com. Hit us up on the on the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash microphonesofmadness. Uh, or on Twitter, at Night Heroes for Steve, and at Mad Mike's Rodney for me. And uh, we, we'll get it to you. Um, I used... My my copy actually has all the monster stats in it because I use the uh, SRD. Mine mine doesn't because for some reason Slades uh, Slady Slady I don't even know how to pronounce it. They are um, proprietary to Wizards of the Coast and they are in the monster manual, but they are not included um, in the SRD. Ah, well there you go. So if you want a copy, free of charge. Just hit us up on one of those social media accounts or in the email. And as always, keep 30 30 luck luck points. points.